from 1 Peter. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should be able to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our kiddos to the back, right there with GT and Lydia. Awesome. Well, good morning. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Reynolds. I serve as the student minister here at Covenant Church. It is one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, and this morning, we're going to continue our series in First Peter. And uh, I always... Um, always really enjoy preparing. I think it's just like teaching, right? When you, when you prepare to teach, you have to know something better than you ever knew it before. And so getting the chance to dig in, especially to what Peter says here with the practicality of his letter here has been really fun. So um, I, I, I kind of want to dig in for a minute right here, just where Peter started uh, with this word, uh, beloved. Because I, I, I think... As he writes to the, to the church here, he says, beloved, and I just kind of got caught up there, and I don't know if it's just me being in my fields with all the college stuff and kids going off or, or just uh, what it was, but it just really stuck with me of how much this word uh, actually really means. And I think it, it also struck me that we often just pass right over these. We, just, we, we read beloved or we read this term of endearment and we just glaze right over it with, with no second thought for what it really means. So I want to kind of rest here for a minute. We see uh, throughout Peter's letters, we see this word beloved used a couple times. We see other terms of endearment, certainly from the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the letters we see in the New Testament, um, these terms of endearment over and over and over again. And so Peter, what I want you to see here is that Peter clearly has uh, this deep-rooted and genuine love for his audience, right? He's, and, and Paul, as, as he writes, you can, you can just really sense this, this longing, this yearning to be with the church who he's writing to at that time. And we just pass right over him. But I think here it really sets the stage to show us how much Peter loves us. Um, I watched uh, last year, and then even a couple weeks ago, as RJ uh, and then Caroline sort of uh, left us for the official, for the last official Sunday here, right? Um, and they'll be back. It's okay. Um, I keep telling myself that. But they said goodbye to all of you. And I can remember uh, somebody who had not been here much, or what I don't remember, maybe one of you guys, but they looked at Caroline and we were all emotional. Jason and I, you know, the two weepiest human beings alive, I think had kind of stepped aside as Caroline was saying goodbye to some of her littles, and, um, and we were like, oh, this is not good. And somebody's like, what's, what's happening right here, you know? And they're like, oh, it's, she's, she's going to college or whatever else. But, but here's the deal. Like, it matters because this 
is a family. Like, you guys are our family. We, the, the, the Moors, have found a true family here at Covenant Church. And I'm as grateful as ever to be a part of it, and I hope that you feel that way too. And, and I, I think it really, even b- before I saw her saying goodbye, I think it really struck me and really set home. If you guys were here a couple weeks ago, on Caroline's last Sunday, we had uh, Caroline and, and Sam and Jamie each came up and, and shared uh, a, about their faith and kind of spoke to us. And, and Caroline shared something with us. Like, I'd never heard this. Maybe Shreezy, I don't know, but I'd never heard her say these things. But she was talking about her summer in Nepal last, uh, last summer and uh, missing the comforts of home and complaining, like wanting to complain about the, the roughness of the bench she was sleeping on or uh, not having, you know, this much food or, or having to hike this much and she said she just made she realized that uh god's glory was greater than all of those things which is a great revelation in and of itself except for the fact that then she made a commitment that every time she had a thought that she wanted to complain about something she was missing or didn't have or was too difficult that she would just write in the back of her journal his glory is greater than blank now as a dad like i sat and i was like whoo like that's I, like, that hit me pretty hard right there. Like, wow, as a sister in Christ, like, that's, that's beautiful, Caroline. Go, like, that'll preach. But then she really hit home because she read and, and reminded us and told us, gave us some insight into some of the things that she missed, some of the things she had written down. His glory is greater than blank. And two of the things that she wrote, she said, his glory is greater than a Sunday at Covenant Church. His glory is greater than a hug from Hattie or Liam. That, man, that got me. That really, really got me. See, she sat thousands of miles away. Guys, listen, there was a night when she was like, hey, we don't go out at night because uh, there, there are tigers out there. And we got a text that said, hey, we're lost, pray for us. And we got nothing else for almost 24 hours. I, I laid next to my wife in bed at like midnight going, God, don't let a tiger eat her, please, like whatever's happening. She's in this part of the world. She's struggling. And one of the things that she wanted to complain about was not being here with you guys, with us at Covenant Church. Not because Covenant Church is so great, but because we glorify God and we hold him higher than everything else. That's why she missed it. It really blew me away. And I think it blew me away as I read this because I just have to think, had she taken the time to write us a letter? I don't think it would have started with Dear Covenant Church or To My Friends. I just think she would have written Beloved, right? And I think that many of us today feel the same way. We We could use the term Beloved if we were to write a letter back to the church from where we were, back to this church, to our people, to our family. We would use the term beloved or some term of endearment similar to that. And so I want you to feel that this morning. I want you to feel what Peter's writing here, right? I want you to know how much and how deeply he cares for these people, this church, because he's writing to them as Israelites in exile, right? And and, and he's also writing to us right now as exiles from the world that we live in. And we have to see that. Like, we have to realize right now that as believers, as Christians, we are exiles. We're aliens, sojourners. We're foreigners. The the CSB used the word strangers, right? And as someone who cares deeply for us, Peter starts out by warning us about the passions 
of the flesh, about our sinful desires that result from our fallen nature. And I want you to see how he describes it. He said it's, it's a war waging against our soul. In verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's good advice. That's solid. But then he goes on and he says, these are waging war against your soul. And that's our first point today is that we are at war. I remember back when I was probably 12 or 13. Some of you guys remember this. We sent troops off. Uh, Desert Storm, right? We sent them off to the Gulf War. And I can remember there being yellow ribbons tied everywhere. I can remember seeing that. I can remember uh, uh, friends of mine who, who had brothers, older brothers, cousins, uncles, dads even, that were sent off uh, to, to fight this war. And this wasn't a war that we just brushed over that we took lightly. Like we knew about things that were happening. I had like trading cards. They made a whole sale. I had like the General Norman Schwarzkopf trading card, right? Um, but these weren't things that we brushed over. We knew what Scud missiles were. We knew that Patriot missiles were designed to stop those Scud missiles. This was something that we took seriously because war is serious. War is dangerous because war is deadly. And so we have to see right here today, right now, that the seriousness of our sin, because it's at war with our own soul. And look, we're seeing, guys, we, we're seeing so many things in our culture today that are becoming normal that we all know should not be normal. And yes, it feels like we're at war a lot of times. Don't, don't get lost and, and angry and frustrated right here with, with any businesses or whatever else. It's not what this is about. We're also starting to see more and more people stand up right, uh, against these things that have become the norm, saying, hey, this, this should not be the norm. And that's what we see Peter doing right here. He's standing up, and he's exposing and calling out this cultural norm of his time because their norm was to just do what felt right, right, to, to trust your feelings with no regard for what God says. Basically, right, the norm sounds a lot like what we're seeing right now. If your flesh says it's okay, if it feels good, just go with it. Just do it. And Peter goes on, right, to point out in, in passages uh, right after this that, that, it's, that it's our nature to, to, to be at war, right? It's our nature. It says that he says that the servant, it's his nature not to submit to the master. It's, it's, it's the wife's nature not to submit to her husband. Don't get lost there. We're going to touch on that in coming weeks. Uh, someone far smarter than I will do that. Um, but Peter's calling the first century church. And he's calling us right now to be servants of God, right? To live under the control of the Spirit, right? The old way was to just let it happen, just to go what felt right, to not fight against the flesh. But Peter's calling them, he's calling us to fight like crazy against the flesh because we're at war. Our nature, our natural desires are at war with our soul. As I read this and thought about it, 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 I immediately thought of Paul in Romans 7. He talks about doing the things that he doesn't want to do, right? He says that he, if you read that, like there's a lot of do not and do, and it gets really confusing. But basically what Paul says here is that he doesn't understand his own actions, right? Because he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. He says it's a sin at work in him. He knows that nothing good dwells in him, in his flesh. And he goes on in verse 19, and he says this. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I 
do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. Guys, this sounds like an internal war to me. Paul realizes, like, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. And I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. And I want to do this, but I can't do it. I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. Paul recognizes this war that's just waging within himself. And this is the same war that's being fought within each of us today. These fleshly desires, these passions, Peter calls them, are at war against what the Spirit wants us to do. And many of us can relate to the frustration of doing evil that we don't want to do. How many times have we felt almost immediate regret or shame for something that we did, right? We had no intention of doing this. Matter of fact, we probably had a conscious thought, I'm not going to do this. We made a decision, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to cave this time. And then we find ourselves doing the exact thing that we committed to not do. This is our daily war. Peter goes on here in verse 12. He says, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, as human beings, we can easily misdirect our battle strategies and we can fight the wrong battle and sometimes we even fight the wrong opponent. As believers, we have to be careful to remember that we're not at war against an unbelieving world. Guys, the unbelieving world is our mission field. And we're at war within ourselves, with our own fleshly passions. We're, we're at war with our own sin. And here's the deal. We aren't called to withdraw and hide from the world. Right? Peter's original audience was called to not only live amongst the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles here referring to the non-believers. But also, while you're around them, live amongst them and keep your conduct honorable. Why? So that the world would see God glorified. And if the first century church and all they were dealing with wasn't allowed to isolate themselves from the rest of the world, then neither should we. See, it, it would probably be easier, certainly more comfortable in a lot of ways, for us just to remove ourselves from the world. You know, just go buy a bunch of land and just, just you know, live around a bunch of other Christians. It, it sounds great. Sending kids maybe off to college or whatever wouldn't be uh, that, that, that scary. But here's the problem. That's not what God called us to do. Like he has set us apart as his chosen people. But he's also called us to spread his name and his gospel to the lost world. And our command from him has, listen to me, nothing to do with our comfort and everything to do with our obedience. Juan Sanchez, he's a pastor and an author, says it this way. He says, our battle is not against the unbelieving people of the world. They are our mission field. It is against our own natural sinful desires. And no amount of insulation from the world out there will leave behind our desires in here. Our fight is against sin and temptation, worldliness and the devil. And it is a fight that takes place within us, not around us. So he says, we need to ask ourselves, am I actually warring against my own sin as I seek to love the world? Those who are still lost in darkness, or do I actually indulge my sin while looking down on or remaining aloof from the world? It's okay to be upset and to go after the things that we hate. It really is. 
but the only thing that we should hate is sin. So before you start a warring campaign against businesses or companies, what you need to do is be upset and hate sin, specifically and especially your own sin. We should be taking this fight to ourselves, to the sin that is raging at war within each of us first. Because when we choose this battle, it frees us to love the rest of the world well, to love them the way that Jesus does. See, choosing the right battle frees us to live a life that honors God. But church, we can't fight this battle alone. And that leads us to our second point, because we are called to a life of dependence. Peter Peter calls us to live as free people by living as servants of God. See, despite despite knowing what God says is best for us and believing it's true, many of us still live for ourselves. I would argue probably most of us do. We make this decision that I got to look out for number one, right? I'm going to do me, right? And all that comes with that. Our primary concern is our own happiness. It's our own satisfaction. It's our own well-being. This is the easy choice. It's our de facto choice. And maybe that sounds very freeing to you, but church, this isn't freedom. This is a self-imprisonment. And maybe that doesn't, maybe you don't agree with me. And I would just argue that you're disagreeing not with me, but with what God says. Because I want you to think about this for a second. (laughs) Making our own decisions, right? Doing what we want, doing what felt right and what we think is best without any regard for what God's will is, has never worked out well for us. See, we don't have to get any further than a third chapter of the Bible where we, mankind, made our own decision. We lived for ourselves. We did what felt right And look where it got us. And some of you are probably having some similar thoughts to what I've had. Like, yeah, Reynolds, you're right. But I didn't eat that apple. Like, bro, that wasn't me. You would have. I would have, right? See, I know I would have. I feel certain I probably wouldn't have just taken a bite. Bro, if it had been a Granny Smith apple, I'd have devoured that whole thing. I probably would have got me a little cup of peanut butter, spread it on there. Like, I would have just eaten. I I know who I am. It's what we do. It's who we are. These are these natural passions of the flesh that Peter's writing about. And to really understand how to combat this, we have to look at how and why we were created. See, God God created us. He intricately designed us to be dependent. And we hate it. We hate being dependent. See, Caroline and Gracie especially absolutely hate it when they have to go into a store with me to shop for something. Now, I don't mean like we spent time at, at, at Alabama and Ole Miss this week and I was looking for, you know, the right hat or the one that fit right. Not that. This is like something where I could easily ask for help be out in under five minutes, and instead I will wander around a store for 30 or 45 minutes just to do it myself. We were, we were in Oxford last week, and uh, we realized that uh, Caroline's rear wiper needed to be replaced. So I was like, all right, being the good dad I am, right, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace it before we leave. So Sunday after church, we went eight, and then we're riding around, we pass a, passing O'Reilly's. And so I walk in the O'Reilly's, two gentlemen there say, 
hey, sir, can we help you? No, thanks. I got it, right? Now, in my mind, I know there's a little machine right there where the wipers are where you type in the, the, the make and model, and they tell you exactly which wiper to get. So I did that. After about three or four times through, uh, there's no uh, rear wiper for her car. I'm like, man, something must be wrong. So I have to swallow my pride, turn around, go back to one of the gentlemen who offered to help me 10 minutes ago and say, sir, apparently I, I do need your help. So he looks it up on his computer. Lo and behold, he can't find it either. Sir, I guess we don't carry that. Oh, okay, well, thanks. So I walk out, not feeling bad that I wasted time because he couldn't find it either. So we head over to, to, uh, to, to AutoZone. And, and guys, I had no, absolutely zero intention of asking for help this time either. I'm going to find this on my own. But the way the store was set up, the guy kind of cut me off, right? He's like, sir, can I help you? I'm like, well, you're in my face, so sure. Uh, he looks it up, can't find it. That's not my point, okay? My, my point is we hate asking for help. In pretty much any circumstance at all, we hate asking for help. Sometimes it's just, hey, could, could you pray for me? And we don't even want to ask for that. I just want to encourage you. Like, you guys, I, I know Luke talked about a connection card. Like, if, like, fill that out. If you need prayer, like, we would love to pray for you. There are going to be people from our prayer team and our staff in the back when we're, when we're done here today. And we would love nothing more than to pray with you, to pray for you ask for help because God wired us to be dependent and the sin in our own life is the greatest indicator that we're not hardwired for independence because sin is sin right we think bad thoughts we say bad things we make bad choices and often we deny that we're doing any of it and even if we acknowledge that maybe what we're doing is not the best right we still try to justify it. We'll minimize our own sin. Sometimes we'll minimize the, the, the sins of those closest to us. We begin to rationalize and to, minim to, to minimize the only thing that separates us from a holy God. Right? We often see this moment where others need help. That, hey, you need to be dependent. Hey, you should turn to God for that. Let me pray for you. We encourage them to seek help. But when it comes to ourselves, right, we suffer from this self-imposed self blindness and this refusal to depend on anyone other than ourselves. But if we were to take a genuine and honest look at what sin has done to us, at what sin continues to do for us, we really would be faced with no other choice than to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And it's at this point when we have to choose dependence on our creator. Friends, I'm, a, I'm ashamed. I, I mean this. I'm ashamed to even think about how many times I've tried to handle my own sin. It just doesn't work. We have to decide to do what he created us to do and lean into him and to his plan for our life. Because while we were designed for a life of loving worshipful dependency and obedience the problem is that we don't have the power or the wisdom to live independently apart from God Paul Tripp says this way he says to try to live life completely independent of God is like trying to drive a beautiful boat down a superhighway that boat is a wonderful creation loaded with amazing design details but it was not built to run on a hard surface if you try to run it on land you will destroy the boat and you will go nowhere fast. 
And this is what Peter is telling us here. Remember that we were all created in the image of God. And when we try to live life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we take this beautiful image in which we were created and we shatter it into a thousand pieces. In the same way that driving this beautiful boat on on land where it was never meant to go, we too often try to live our life or even just parts of it independent of God in a way that we were never created to live. So our third point today is just this, that submission to God leads to freedom. Church, our joyful submission, joyful submission is the good life. That's the good life. Through God's grace, we can see that only he has the power to rescue us from us. True freedom is found in loving and serving God. This is the fulfillment of freedom. See, we already talked about how Peter obviously cares deeply for his audience. But his mandate here is clear. We should live in a manner that provides a living witness to a watching and lost world. Because how we live truly matters. See, Peter repeatedly calls us here to good works. And I want to be clear here, just so we're all on the same page, that that he's not saying that good works leads to any form of salvation. That's not what he's implying. It's not what he's saying at all. He's calling us to do good works so that others will see them and that God will be glorified through those works. It's through these good works that others will see God glorified and not us magnified. He says that by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, when we live differently than the world does, we put to silence those who are looking for a reason to criticize or to slander us. See, almost all of us at some point have heard the excuse from someone we've invited to church or we hear that people don't want to come to church because it's full of what? Hypocrites, that's right, that's right. But the point here is that when we live like the world, when we live like the lost world, right, when there's no difference in the way that we act, the way that we love, the way that we talk, when our conversations are sprinkled with the same venom as the lost world and not the saltiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people will love talking about us. We'll just be hypocrites. But letting others see Christ in and through us silences those who want to call us hypocrites, who want to slander us in other ways. Peter kind of rounds out here by saying uh, he implores us to live as free people. He says, live as people who are free, but he's just told us that our flesh is at war with our soul. How can we live in peace when we're essentially at war with ourselves? Like, how can we live free when Paul says, like, as Paul says, we continue to do the things that we don't want to do, and we don't actually do the things that we do want to do. So how do we live as free people? Well, the answer is submission. And that doesn't sound... (laughs) This doesn't sound free, right? Just just submit. That doesn't sound very free. But it's submission to Christ as the ultimate authority in our life that leads to the only true freedom we could ever know. Like we're we're also called here, Peter points it out, we're called to submit to all earthly authorities as God's slaves. 
Now look, keep in mind that if there's ever a conflict between human authority and God's authority, we, we are always called to submit to God's authority. That's, there's no question about that. But Christ has left us an example of how to submit to authority, even when the whole thing sometimes seem completely unfair or just. Furthermore, not just seem unfair or unjust. They are unfair or unjust. Christ left us an example. Jesus himself, when asked about paying taxes, he says, well, render under Caesar what's Caesar's and give God what belongs to God. Church, there's a cost to living in this world. And just because we are believers, we aren't exempt from paying it. Some of those are actual financial costs. They're, they're, they're fees, they're taxes, things like that. Some of those costs are going to be physical, psychological, emotional suffering. Jesus suffered, and he paid the same cost, and he paid them to far greater extremes than we could ever imagine or than, thank God, we'll ever have to know. If we look ahead at verse 21, still in chapter 2, Peter says, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. We can look at the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Like, not only are we called to follow in his steps, like, we have the final high priest, the one who paid it all, who understand, who can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like to have to submit when it's unfair. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, the power in the White House is going to change every four to eight years. And I don't know how much power they actually have anyway. The majority in the Senate, the majority in the House, it's going to change every two to six years. Right? And we're at a point right now where it's just ridiculous. One group will get the majority and the power, and, and they'll change all the, the, the policy that the other people made, and then they'll enact stuff they want to do, and then when the power shifts in two, four, six years, they just change it back. They keep going back and forth. You know, uh, sometimes uh, as an offensive football coach, I'll draw a play on the board just to see if it'll work, and I'll ask our defensive coaches, hey, how would you stop this? And they draw up the perfect defense. Well, if you know this play's coming, this is the perfect defense. So I go, well, if you did this, I would do this. Well, then I would do this. And so we just basically, the, the, the last coach with the pen wins, right? And this is what's happening in our government right now. It's just whoever's currently in office is going to make things the way that they want it to be, right? People who 20 years ago were mindful of what tons of illegal immigrants might mean, what problems might arise, are now acting like they never said anything. Politician two years ago uttered statements that, that marriage was designed for one man and one woman now have this convenient amnesia about those speeches, and it made a 180 on what they think. And I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to be political. We, that's the last thing we want to do at Covenant Church is be political. That, that's not what this is about. What I'm trying to point out is that even when things don't make sense, even when they don't seem like they match up with what we believe, we are still called to submit to the authority of our government so long as it doesn't go counter to God's holy word. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The Lord's sake. This could be to the emperor who claims to be supreme. He says, governors who rule, judge us. We have to keep in mind this, guys. God put those leaders there. 
He put those institutions where they are. He's never surprised by election results. We have to trust his will and his sovereignty. And so we just submit for the Lord's sake. And that changes, or, or at least it should change, how we feel about those in authority who govern over us. He closes here in verse 17. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so practically we are called to honor everyone. See, because we were all created in the image of God, we are all worthy of honor and respect. Even when we may not be on the receiving end of that honor and respect, we're still called to honor others. And this is one way that we honor God. And church, this is one place where I crash and burn a lot. I've been convicted uh, this week uh, as I read and I studied and I prepared. And it's just, I'm convicted that I spend far too much time angry or frustrated with people and it doesn't do any good. It's not worth it. And furthermore, when I do those things, I'm honoring neither them nor God. So I've tried to make a commitment, right, going forward that I can stop and pause and think about honoring God before I become angry or frustrated so that my action, right, doesn't go against what God wants for me. Or even at my inaction, uh, sometimes I'm just getting angry. Peter says next, to love the brotherhood. I love this. This is, this is kind of where, where I got off with beloved this morning, right? This is a special love that we as brothers and sisters have in Christ. This, is, this goes above and beyond how we honor everyone, how we honor each other. This is why Peter writes, beloved, if you've ever been to a church, while visiting a foreign country, right, you probably understand this really well. There is just this sweet, sweet spirit when you're able to, to come in contact with a brother or sister that may not speak the same language you do, but will stand and kneel, or wouldn't stand before a holy God, will kneel before the same throne that we're going to kneel before on Judgment Day, before the God who created us all. See, many of you know uh, Caroline is majoring, <clears throat> excuse me, in Arabic in college. She's taking classes now. She's learning some phrases. It's been kind of cool. We don't know if she's right or wrong. She just tells us those phrases. But one of her biggest fears, concerns, worries, like whatever you want to call it, has really been talking to her Arabic professors, maybe some of her classmates, some of whom she's figured out are... Um, who, who already know Arabic, maybe they're um, of a different faith. Because the truth is, the reason she's learning Arabic, if you've talked to her, is that she desperately wants to share the gospel with people of the Muslim faith. Her professor this summer is from Egypt. We didn't know who he was. Uh, we, we, we did a, kind of an intro thing on Monday night. They had a little meeting, and he stood up and spoke. Seemed like a really nice guy, but I'm sure we all had probably similar assumptions about his face, faith. But somehow on the second day of class on Wednesday, the subject of faith came up. So we get a text. I'm sorry, this is good. We get a text from Caroline. She was ecstatic because Ustaz Imad, her teacher, he's a believer. 
His family is from Egypt. This is a man who literally had to be put out of school when they taught religion classes because he, is fa- he and his family were Christians and not Muslims. There was this sweet, this instant sweet, sweet love between Caroline and her professor. There was this moment where it's like, hey, we know each other. These stories that have been told in one-on-one conversations between her and between her professor right now have been incredible. Things that have opened up doors for her to be able to speak truth into other classmates around her who are not believers. See, the bond of brotherhood under Christ is so unique. It's so special. This, this brotherhood is why we linger after church, right? This is why no one in this church other than her mom and dad will tell Hattie Jane no, right? This is why we all look for Hudson's thumbs up in every Allen family photo, right? It's why every Sunday feels like a family reunion that you actually want to go to, right? Peter instructs us. He goes on next and says to fear God. And while we submit to these earthly authorities, it's biblical and it's right, we aren't called to be in awe of them, but we should stand in awe and amazement of God and God alone because of who he is, because of all he's done. And then because saying that honor everyone uh, might allow us to be very vague and leave some people out, Peter's very specific, and he says to honor the emperor. This is a political position that often stood in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. And yet Peter says, honor the person in this position. See, this is not worshiping, this is honor. Worship is for God alone. If first century Jews can honor the emperor, surely we can honor those in authority over us. We are called to submit to authority while knowing God is the ultimate authority. We honor God by submitting to the human authorities in our life. And so what does that submission look like? Hebrews 4.16 it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Christ is sympathetic to us, we're able with confidence to draw near the throne. We submit when we become obedient and dependent. Obedience and dependence is submission. It's freedom. So as I wrap up, I, I want to challenge you today. Just ask, like, how free do you feel? Like, what is it in your life that you're refusing to submit to? What are you holding on to? What is it that you're trying to do all alone that you're refusing to depend on God for? I'm going to invite the band to come back up now, and I want to give you some time as they, as they play. I want to give you some time to pray. Just right there at your seat. You can pray at your seat. You can come and kneel here at the altar if you want. It's certainly always open. But this is time for you to speak to the Father. I want to encourage you to ask him where you need to be more dependent. Where in your life do you need to submit? Are you fighting against others or are you fighting the battle with your own sin? We're going to take communion uh, this morning. And after you've had some time with the Lord, when you're ready, I want you to invite all believers to come to the communion table. This is where we remember Christ submitting to the Father's will on our behalf. And it's where we can be reminded 
and encouraged to also submit our entire life to him. And look, this is a solemn time, and it's a time we obviously remember what Christ did. But I want to encourage you with something else this morning. As you come back from the communion table, find somebody that's not in your biological family, somebody that you just love seeing every Sunday morning. Hug their neck, shake their hand, fist bump them. Just enjoy the brotherhood, the, the sweet fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. I think it's a great reminder that together we're called to a life of dependence, a life of submission. And those two things together lead us to deeply care and love for each other. I'll be in the back along with members of our prayer team, members of our staff. If you want to pray with any of us, we would absolutely love to pray with you this morning. The band's going to play. Take your time at your seat. Come when you're ready.